this morning and very thankful for the, the precious prayer that's been prayed by our brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see each one of you. Um, most of all, we hope we have the, the manifest presence of our Lord and Master, our Savior, our Father in Heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you'd like to read along with me, please turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 8. And we're going to read through verse 13. I would beseech each one of you that you would you'd pray for me this morning, that uh, God's grace would be with me in the pulpit as we look into this, this subject that's taught to us here in this, this precious portion of Scripture. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. For thither the Syrians... Are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. After the experience of the iron swimming, the king of Syria, who we just read about just a few chapters before, when we considered Naaman the leper and his cleansing, he begins to war against, against Israel. Reading verse 8, we know that he was trying to set up these places of ambush. We'll set up an ambush here, and you know, as they pass by, you know, we'll jump out of the trees on top of them. That's not what it says, but that's that's just the way I, I see that verse. Setting up an ambush. When they pass by, they won't even know we're here, and, and we'll sneak up on them. The man of God that was in Israel, Elisha the prophet, the Lord revealed to him the thoughts, the words of the king of Syria that he spoke in his bedchamber. And Elisha, the prophet of God, told that to the king of Israel. And every time there was an ambush for the armies of Israel, they knew exactly where the king of Syria was going to be, where those armies were going to be to ambush them, and they escaped. Notice it says not once nor twice. What that means is many times. Well, after this happened a few times, the king of Syria looked around and said, you know, there's somebody here that's telling what I'm saying. Who is it? It's got to be one of you, you're, you're telling the matter, because this is impossible. This is impossible for them to know where we're going to ambush them and for them to escape out of this, this ambush. There was one of the servants told the king, no, it's, it's not that, but there's a prophet of God in Israel. And he knows what you're saying in your bedchamber. And we have these plans, he's telling the king of Israel, and because he's telling the king of Israel, they're able to escape. Escape from our from our ambush. In this portion of scripture, we have a manifestation of one of the attributes of God. This is omnipresence. What does it mean when we say the attributes of God? These are the things that are used, words, subjects that's used to describe God and who He is and His and His person. Now, the Bible teaches us that the Lord He is He's holy. God's holy. He's, he's not sin. There's no sin in God. No wrong. He's holy. He's, he's perfect. 
God is faithful. The Bible teaches us that God is faithful. You can depend on God. I mean, we can't depend on much in this world, but you can depend on God. God is, is love. God is love. We know God is love because you've got to hope that God loves you, right? God is, is love. Do you know God did not owe anybody anything to love them, but God loved. He loved his people before the foundation of the world. He's shown his love. He manifested his love on the cross of Calvary when Jesus died for all of our sins. And one day we will rest an eternal day in God's love. Why? Because now about a faith, hope, and charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. Why is charity the greatest? Well, faith and hope will have an end when we see Jesus in the clouds. But charity will still live on through all eternity. God is he's, he's love. Sometimes we find words in the Bible. And even words studying about the Lord in different books that are used to describe the Lord. You remember there in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6 when it says of the Lord, the Lord omnipotent reigneth. What, is, what does that mean? Well, somebody that's impotent means they have no, no strength. They're not able. Do you remember in John chapter 5 at the pool of Bethesda, the Bible took up the space, say there's many impotent folk there, there's people that were not able to help themselves. Omnipotent, doesn't mean you can't help yourself, but that means having all strength and power. You remember the text there in, I think it's Psalm 62 and verse 11. It says, The Lord hath spoken, David said twice, have I heard this, that power belongeth to God. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. What about a word like omniscient? Have you ever heard the word omniscient? The word omniscient is not in the Bible, but what that means is God is all-knowing. I love what the preacher of South Georgia used to say. The one that wrote that book ain't got nothing to learn. He knows it. You know, Elder Gary Hall quoted that to me last week when I was talking to him about the lesson about the iron that did swim. He said, you know, the one that wrote that book ain't got nothing to learn. He's omniscient. What about the word omnipresent? That's not in the Bible, but it's taught throughout Scripture. What it means is God is everywhere present and nowhere absent. Anywhere his will is to be, he's there. Isn't it amazing that God is so great that he can fill the entire universe, but yet he can be so small that he can dwell in a child's little heart. Isn't that amazing? He's everywhere. And since God is eternal and God is not confined in time, see, God can be here, and in the future, all at the same time. God is not bound by time as we are bound. You know, we as his children, we make decisions every day of our, of our life. You know, I didn't make a decision about heaven and hell. I didn't make a decision to be born Marvin Fay Lauderbilt's son. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm their son. I'm thankful that I have a hope in my heart that God loved me before the world began. That God predestinated me to be with him in glory. And I want to tell you, there's more children of God on earth than there are those that go to hell. Many, many more. And I think that message needs to be preached to give hope to the children of God throughout the land. I'm thankful for that. But there are decisions that I make every day in my life. Sometimes I can choose the left or the right. You know, coming to church, you know, this morning you may have chose to take one path or you could have taken another road to come to church. You may have you made a choice. Have you ever thought about doing that and, and driving and maybe a rabbit run in front of you and you dodge the rabbit and actually run off the road? And you think, well, what if I'd have chose the other path? Do you know God, he knew what would have happened if you'd have chose the other path because God is not bound with, with time. And God knew what was going to happen when you chose the one path. Why? Because God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is omnipotent. You know, there's, there's a psalm in the Bible that actually teaches most of these lessons about the Lord. It's Psalms 139. I'd like for you to read that psalm with me, or at least the first 12 to 14 verses. And see if when we read this, you can see these attributes of the Lord. By the way, I want to add, just because God knows, that doesn't mean God has to cause you know, some people think if God knows, he has to be the cause. No, that's not true. Just because God knows, 
that doesn't mean he's the cause. You know, Jesus Christ, the Bible said of him, that the Son of Man goeth, goeth as it was determined of him to go. And Jesus knew what was before him at Jerusalem, but he did not cause those men to have hatred in their heart to him. He knew what was before him. He knew what was going to happen, but he did not cause them to hate him. The Bible says, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. God didn't cause them to hate him. Sin, sin caused men to hate God. Psalms 139. See if you can see some of these attributes of the Lord in this. David writes, he said, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Wow. How many of us really know ourselves? God knows us. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. And thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. How many people know all your ways? He said, for there is not a word in my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me. Meaning you've besieged me. You had your hands around me. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? And whither shall I flee from thy presence? David said, if I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. What is that saying? God is faster than the speed of light. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee, for thou possess my reins. David said, there was a time. When I was just a heartbeat in my mother's womb. And by the way, David said, that was me. That was me. The heartbeat in my mother's womb. That was me. Thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He said, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Does that not tell the omnipotence of God? And that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not heaped from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. The lower parts of the earth there is making reference to David's mother's womb. The lower parts of the earthen vessel of his mother. Now as we read through those 15 verses, can you see the omnipresence of God in those verses? Can you see the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God and him all knowing? I'm amazed by that, that one song. And how that one psalm declares these attributes of the Lord. Back to 2 Kings chapter 6. The focus here in 2 Kings chapter 6 is on this, this one attribute. The omnipresence of God. That God was there with the king of Syria when he spoke. And God revealed that to Elisha the prophet. And Elisha the prophet told the king of Israel what the plan was. Where the ambush is. You know, sometimes when we think about the omnipresence of God, we, we think about Him seeing us in, in our sin. And it brings guilt, it brings condemnation, it brings us to a place of reverential fear of God's chastisement. But you know, there's a positive sense to that omnipresence. And God seeing us and seeing our needs, seeing our emptiness, and seeing the blessings that He can bestow upon us as our Father in heaven. You know, when we read texts like Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The first thing that comes to me is, God knows when I lied to mom and daddy years ago. God knew it. Mom and daddy didn't know, but God knew. You know, God knows I, I actually run that red light. I knew it was going to turn red, and I ran it anyway. God knows, you know, last week when I didn't stop at the stop sign on my bicycle. And, you know, the rule is I'm supposed to put my feet down. God knows. I sinned. That's... I sinned against God. God knows. But the Bible says there in that text, he beholdeth the evil and the good. God knows when I stand in need of something. God knows when there's a need in my life. In his omnipresence, he's able to see where man 
cannot see. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says the word of the Lord. And this word is not the written word. If you turn on your radio and listen to a preacher on the radio, 99.9% of them are going to say that word in Hebrews 4.12 is the written word and they are wrong. How do you know they are wrong, Brother Ronnie? This word is not alive. This is not alive. I can sling this against the wall as hard as I want to. Bam! It's not going to respond. Something that's alive responds to stimuli. And that says, for the word of God is quick, meaning alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing sunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight. His, whatever that word is, it's a his, it's a him, it's a person, it's a person. I had a friend of mine years ago that went to a church service, and he did like a lot of us preachers have done. He put his Bible on top of his car, and he forgot about it. And that's, that's happened to me. I've, I've actually went back and found my Bible on the side of the road where it fell off my car. And he said he remembered I left my Bible on top of my car. And he said I went back to the church house as fast as I could. He said I found it. And he said, you know, Brother Ronnie, I think every car in that parking lot ran over my Bible. He said I learned right there that's not the word that's alive. This is about life. It teaches us about the Lord. The word of God that's alive is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 tells us of him, the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. Jesus Christ is that living word. And that living word, Hebrews 4.12, teaches us he's a discerner of the thoughts and intents the heart, there's no creature that's not manifest in his, in his sight. You know, there in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20, you know, Solomon, he's warning us about the words of our mouth there. And he said, curse not the king in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. He said, for a bird of the air may go and tell the voice, and what um, that of wing may carry the matter and tell it. What is he saying? You know, you ever heard that a little bird told me? That's where that came from, Ecclesiastes 10.20. Solomon says, be careful what you say in private, for you don't know who's going to hear and tell it. That's teaching us of the omni, omnipresence of God. But when we consider the omnipresence of God, our life and where we are in our life, whether in obedience to the Lord or disobedience to the Lord, can, can change the effect of that omnipresence with us. You know, God is God. God hasn't changed. But there's many attributes when we consider the Lord. You know, the Lord can appear to us, his children, in, in love and kindness, and we're obedient to him. But the Lord can also appear to us in a chastening hand. Do you remember the text there in Romans eleven twenty two? Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. You know, David said there in Psalms chapter, is it chapter 18 and verse 25, to the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. To the upright, thou wilt show thyself Upright to the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure, but unto the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. Is that a different God? No, it's the same God. He's righteous and holy, but the way we live will have an effect on how he appears to us. You know, that thought right there will help you in understanding the difference in eternal and temporal salvation in the Bible. And understanding how God deals with us in the eternal context... And how God deals with his children in a temporal context. It will also help you understand what it means in the Old Testament when it says, And the Lord repented. God didn't ever repent of sin. He's never been a sinner. God has never done wrong. But that word repent is, is referring to how we see God. You know, I could be living a life of obedience and see the Lord in kindness and love and joy and blessings and all of a sudden change and turn me, myself, a child of God and have the carnal nature dominate my life and I could see the face of God in chastisement and anger and the Lord give me the whipping that I, I deserve. Now, does that mean the Lord is changed? No, God is still God, but God has many, many attributes. Now, when we consider the omnipresence of God here in these verses we've read the Lord has appeared to these two in two different ways. The king of Syria, he's not rejoicing in the omnipresence of God, is he? But Elisha and the king of Israel, they're rejoicing in the omnipresence of God. The king of Syria, I bet in his heart he's wishing the Lord wasn't omnipresent. 
But the king of Israel and Elisha, they're rejoicing in that knowledge. The Lord is omnipresence. And his omnipresence is helping us. First of all, let's consider some, some things in the Bible that teach us of how people sinned against God. His omnipresence was had a difficult effect on them. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. You have a man, his name was David. And David, the king of Israel, the Lord blessed him beyond measure. God has watched over him, hedged him in, guarded him. And now David is, is the king of Israel. And here in 2 Kings chapter 11... It was a time when the armies of Israel went forth to war and David should have been there with them. In the first four verses of 2 Kings chapter 11, there's a lesson for us, the children of God. If we would just do as God has told us to do, it could save us from a lot of temptations in life. If David had been there in battle with his men, leading the armies of Israel... And doing as a king should have been doing, he would not have been there in his house. And he was there in his house, verse 2 and 3, and he was hes a day sleeper. All, while all the armies were out fighting, he's there, he's taking a good little nap. Enjoying being the king. And he rose from sleep and he looked and, oh, he saw this woman. She's, she's bathing herself. Her name is Bathsheba. Someone would say, well, I'll tell you what. Bathsheba should have had herself covered up. I'm not disagreeing with that. She should have had herself covered up. But if David had been where he should have been, he would have not saw Bathsheba uncovered. There's a lot that's in this world that we can save ourselves from, as I've already said, by just doing what we should be doing. Verse 3, David inquired of the woman. King of Israel, who is that woman down there bathing herself? Oh, you know, that's Bathsheba. Well, she's pretty. I tell you what, go over there and you tell her to come to my house. So they go over there and get her. Now, what's Bathsheba going to do? I'm not going to go. This is the king of Israel. He sends power. He sends men and they take her and they bring her right to David. What does David do? He commits adultery. He lies with her. And now Bathsheba's with child. Well, you know, I could have kept it hid, but can't keep it hidden now. She's with child. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, David says. I'm going to call for her husband Uriah. I'm going to get him home. and I'll tell him to go lie with his wife, and then it'll all be forgotten. Nobody know anything ever happened. So he calls for Uriah. You notice in verse 11, 12, when Uriah gets back, Uriah's, man, his heart is just guilty. How, how could I go home and lie in my bed when the armies of Israel were out lying in the field? Oh, such a valiant man. A godly man. What does David do in his effort to hide his sin? He writes a letter. That letter was taken by the hand of Uriah all the way to Joab. And when they get in the hottest battle, David tells Joab, you just, you just back the army up, that Uriah be killed. In an effort to hide his sin, David wrote the letter that that valiant man would be murdered. David is a child of God living in the flesh. David is a child of God that's thinking carnally, trying to hide his sin. And David, after you rise dead, he says, Bathsheba, you come to me, you'll be my wife, we'll have a child. And he thought, you know, it's, it's all over now. It's all swept under a rug. I'm the king of Israel. It's all going to be fine Read verse 27 with me. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Who was the one that saw everything? Who was the one that, that knew David's thoughts? Who's the one that knew everything that happened? God knew what happened. God knew everything that happened. And God called on a man, his name was Nathan. And this man named Nathan the seer, he came to David. Told David a little parable. 
He said, you know, there's a traveler. There's a man who's traveling. He came to a certain man. That man was rich. He had many flocks. Had anything he wanted. Needed something to eat. And there was this poor man. And that old poor man didn't have anything but just one new lamb. And he would take it to his house just like his own daughter and just loved it. And when that traveler came and needed something to eat, that rich man wouldn't take of his flock. But he wouldn't took that, that man's only ewe lamb and dressed it for the traveler. Boy, David was angry. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5. David was angry, greatly angry. And he said, who had done this thing? This person that's done this thing, he shall surely die. In verse 6, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he had done this thing. And boy, Nathan just took his finger. How did Nathan know all about this? The God that knows all things revealed it to Nathan. And Nathan took his finger and put it right in David's face. And he said, you are the man. You have done this. God hath blessed you beyond measure. And this man named Uriah had this one wife. And you would not be happy and satisfied with all that God gave you. But you went and took of his. And David basically pronounced his own judgment. Do you know David, before he died, he buried four of his, his sons. Nathan told him, God's going to forgive you. But if you go read Psalms 51, Psalms 51 is David's prayer when his heart is convicted. Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the, the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly of my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before thee. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Verse 12, he calls on the Lord, restore me to the joy of thy salvation. He feels to me separated from God because of the conviction of his sin. Nathan said, you're the man. You've done it, David. He said, God's going to forgive him, but the sword would not leave your house. David lost his influence with his children. You know why Absalom wouldn't listen to David? Can't you see David said, Absalom, you don't need to do this. He said, you telling me what to do? After you lied with a man's wife and had her husband murdered? You going to tell me what to do? He lost his influence with his house, buried four of his sons. He buried the one that Bathsheba was, had, she was a child with. He buried uh, Absalom, Amnon, and Adonijah. buried all four of his children. There was a consequence to his action. The Lord of glory saw that, saw that. When I read that, I think about my actions that I've done that nobody sees but the Lord, but the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Let's go to another example. Let's go to the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah, you'll find a man that God calls. If you're going through your Bible, you'll come after the book of Amos, Obadiah, and then the book of Jonah. Jonah was a man that God called to go preach to the people of Nineveh. Go preach to the Assyrians. I'll tell you, Jonah didn't think a lot of the Assyrians. And I will confess to you, they were very ungodly people in the way they lived. You know what Jonah did? Jonah said, I'm not preaching to them people. If I go preach to them, Lord, and they, they know to repent, you're going you to show them kindness because you're a merciful God. I'd rather for them just to suffer. Jonah wanted the Assyrians to suffer. I don't want them to have hardships. I want them to have a hard time. God said, no, I want you to go preach to them. It was God's will that he would go preach to them to give them an opportunity, those children of God, to repent. Jonah said, I'm not going to do it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go the other way. So he went the other way. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 3, he fled to Tarshish, went down to Joppa. While he was there, he went for the presence of the Lord, he found him a ship. He went down in the ship. He ended up going down in the sea and down in a whale's belly. If you notice, going away from the Lord is, is one direction. It's down, 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 and down. All of a sudden, there's a big storm on the sea, and all these mariners, they're nervous. I'm telling you, when professional mariners get nervous, it's, it's a terrible storm. Well, what's going on? What's going on? <laughs> Nobody knew. Nobody knew who Jonah was. Nobody knew what Jonah did, but the Lord, the Lord knew it. And the Lord there in chapter 1 brought it all to light, what Jonah had done. And Jonah just confesses, yeah, God knows. He knows my heart. He knows what I've done. He's called me to go here. I went the opposite direction. I'm not doing what God has called me to do. You just have to cast me overboard. And they cast him overboard. Of course, the whale swallowed him up. And I'm always amazed by the providence of God here. You know, it was God's will that he would go preach to the Assyrians. And you know what the Lord did? The Lord used a whale to give him a free trip over there to preach to them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> the Lord used a whale to give him a free trip to preach to the place he was supposed to preach to. And 
Jonah chapter 2, Jonah's in that whale's belly, and he, he cries out. Notice verse 2 in chapter 2. And I said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. What is he saying? God, you see me even when I'm in this, this whale's belly. You can hear my voice when I'm in, in this whale's belly. God sees. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, this is uh, an event that is probably fresh on our minds because we heard somebody talk about it here recently. It's about the wise men. And the Bible doesn't say there's three wise men, it just says there's wise men. And you hear many people say the wise men, they, they came there to the manger. That, no, they, they came to the house where the young child was. See, these wise men were more than likely Medo-Persian priests. These were people that had learned and descendants of those that had learned under Daniel in the book of Daniel. They understood by the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9 the time that the Messiah would come. And when they saw that star in, in the east, they, they knew. They were in the east. They traveled east to westward to see the Lord. They saw that star. They, they know. The, the time is at hand. Daniel had told our forefathers the time is at hand. And here they come with a huge wagon train. And they went to Bethlehem first. They understood the prophecy. Daniel had taught them that. But see, the Lord was already gone. Mary and Joseph were already gone from Bethlehem. So then they go to Jerusalem. And have you ever noticed how Herod and all Jerusalem were so afraid at their, at their coming? Notice verse 3 of Matthew chapter 2. When Herod, the king, had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now, if these are just three wise men on three little donkeys, I don't think three wise men on three donkeys is going to make anybody nervous. Do you? What about if it was the Medo-Persian priest? And they were on camels and they came with power. Oh yeah, what, what are y'all doing here? Where's he at? Where's he, this born king of the Jews? Here it says, where, where's, this, where's this supposed to happen? Oh, it's Bethlehem Ephratah. Everybody knows the prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Oh, we've already been there. He's not there, he's gone. Here it says, I tell you what, you, you follow them out. Go with them. And you know, they went and they went and they finally, the Bible says they came to the house where the young child was. And when they came to that house where the young child was, they brought gifts. Gold, myrrh, and frankincense. Here are these gifts. You know, these gifts are amazing. These gifts are not just something that poor people have. I mean, these are precious gifts. The Lord knew what was going to happen. The Lord knew what was on Herod's heart. Herod, finally, he would make a law. And that law had to be made after John the Baptist was over two years old. If that law was made when Jesus was an infant, John is dead because John is only six months older than the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ had to be somewhere around a year and a half older, older when that was made. He was less than two years old. All those two years old and younger, let them be killed. Well, Joseph and Mary, in order to be delivered from that, they're going to have something to make this travel into Egypt, right? The angel of the Lord came and warned them of what was going to happen. Let's go into Egypt. God knew Herod's heart. And before they even had the need to travel, God provided gold, frankincense, and myrrh for Joseph and Mary to make that long journey down to Egypt. How? Who would know that? God knew that. God knew what Herod was going to do in his wickedness. And God provided. Even before there was a need, God provided. Go with me to Acts chapter 5. You'll find an, another case where the omnipresence of God was manifested to some individuals that wasn't rejoicing in it, but it happened. Acts chapter 5, we find the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I, could I say in its infancy, in its early days, would, would that be okay? In its early days? See, the Lord Jesus Christ has already... He's already told them, Matthew 24, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. There's nothing going to be left in Jerusalem. It's going to be gone. The Romans are coming, and they're going to destroy not a stone and be left unturned. So those in the church, they know, well, we can't stay here in Jerusalem. The church can't stay here in Jerusalem and buy it. It's going to be destroyed. I mean, if the Lord revealed to us that Union County, North Carolina... In 10 years, there's going to be an atomic bomb. And we, we believed it with every cell of our being. There's going to be an atomic bomb drop here 10 years from now. Would we be excited just to stay here or would we would be making plans to stay? We'd be somewhere else. See, the Lord told them 
In Matthew 24, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. So the church began to make plans. What was their plans? We need to find a way to get out of here. So the church made decision to have everything in common. They would take and sell all their property. See, their property's not going to be worth anything. I mean, how, how hard is it going to be to sell property after the atomic bomb is dropped in Union County? You can't sell it then, can you? After Jerusalem's destroyed, you can't sell that property then. It's going to be worthless, but now at that time in Acts chapter 2, is worth something. Let's sell all of our property, and let's put everything together, and let's make plans so the church could be somewhere else. And the Bible says they had all things in common. This is not communism, it's communism. Communism, the church in that day. This is for them in that day. It's not a plan for us today. It was, it was something they did at that time so that they could put everything together and the church collectively could move to Antioch into the Gentile world and still survive. Now, if they'd have stayed in Jerusalem, they were done. They were all gone. That's all going to be destroyed. So, But God has revealed to us it's going to be destroyed. So Acts chapter 5, they're doing that. They're selling all the property. It's going to be worthless one day, so they sell it so they have all things in common. They're taking care of one another. They're watching out for one another. The church in its early days, they're doing this. And here comes this man named Ananias and this one named Sapphira, his wife. They come and they sold a piece of property and they're not going to give all the money. They but they hit it. They hit it. After they'd already agreed, after we'd already made a covenant with the other people in the church, chapter 5, verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? You're not just lying to the church and me. You're lying to God. We've agreed to do this for the church's sake because we know Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Verse 4, while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. You've lied unto God. We've made this covenant. We've made this agreement. And what happened? Ananias was struck down. Well, in comes his wife. What happened? She tells the same lie. Verse 9, then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. And she died because she lied to God in those days of the church. Now, I don't think this lesson is something to exhort us to go into communism. No, it's just not. It was something for them of that day, okay? You got it? It's, it's a situational portion of Scripture. But they agreed to do that and agreed in the sight of God, and then they lied, not just, just to Peter and the church. They lied to God. Who knew what happened? Did Peter know what? Peter didn't know. They could have held all that money back, and Peter wouldn't have known it. What about the other apostles? No, just as men, God knew. Now, do you think they were rejoicing in the omnipresence of God? But it didn't matter. God is still omnipresent, right? God knew their heart. He knew exactly what they did. Now, most of the time, when we think about the omnipresence of God, that's, we're like the king of Syria. Man, God knows my sin. He knows I've done wrong. I'm, I'm going to get chastened. But there is a sense where the Bible teaches the omnipresence of God in a Apostasies and rich blessings. And we, the children of God, are able to rejoice in the omnipresence of God. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. The book of Genesis, chapter 2, and I'm going to be honest with you, it seems like the older I've, I've become, the more precious this portion of Scripture is to me. Genesis chapter 2, God has made man. He made him upright. Man is in the garden. Man has all the food he wants to eat. Everything seems great. Sin has not entered into the world. There's not a hole in Adam's heart. Adam's not in need at that present time of anything. But God said in verse 18... It is not good that the man should be alone. What does that mean? That means God in his omnipresence 
saw that there's going to be a time when Adam was going to be in need. And knowing that, God put him in a deep sleep and took a rib from his side and he made woman and gave that woman to Adam to be his help me. God provided in his omnipresence for Adam even before he had a need. That's amazing, isn't it? But if you go back and read chapter 1, it's, it's, it's clear. I mean, God made the waters before he made fish. God made the light before he made the grass. I mean, the grass is going to need light. God made, he provided the light before he made the grass. The fish are going to need water. God gave water before he made the fish. God made the grass before he made the cattle that have to eat the grass, right? God provided even before there was a need. And when you think about that, even in an eternal context, before the foundation of the world, before sin even entered into the world, before man was made, God provided in covenant eternal salvation for us. And in this portion of Scripture, we see that graciousness, that love of God in His omnipresence, seeing that man would have a need, He provided for that man even, even before He had, had a need. He said, it's not good that man would be alone. And you know, I think about me, you know, there's a time in my life, I mean, I just got out of school. I mean, I was happy-go-lucky, footloose. Everything going my way. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's a long period of time in my life I didn't think nothing about being married. I didn't. And if you'd ask me, you know, Brother Ronnie, do you think you'll end up being the pastor at Union Grove Primitive Baptist Church in Monroe, North Carolina? I'd have said, you're out of your mind. I'm going to tell you, a pastor needs a good wife. And God gave me, before I really even needed her the way I need her now, God gave me, do I have a right to say this, the perfect preacher's wife. God gave it to me. I'm satisfied. God gave Sister Jennifer to me, and he cursed Sister Jennifer with me. <laughs> I walked out in the parking lot a while ago, and I, I looked at Brother Phil and Sister Shelby. You know, Brother Phil and Sister Shelby, Lord bless their heart, their husbands and wives, they, they passed in this life. And I'm sure they were content just to, to be. I mean, I don't know of any more precious people in this world than Brother Phil and Sister Shelby. I love them with all my heart. But in a precious thought to think that it was the Lord that gave Sister Shelby to Brother Phil and Brother Phil to Sister Shelby. Put them together in his omnipresence, seeing what they would need. Brother Ken and Sister Ann, God in his omnipresence, seeing what you two would need, put you together many years ago. Isn't that a precious way to look at God's omnipresence? We can go a little further with the subject. We can go over to the book of Genesis with Joseph. You know, Joseph had a dream in Genesis chapter 37. And those in that dream, you remember all the sheaves and the sheaves made obeisance to his sheep. It was God's will that Joseph would be there in Egypt. Come a little later in, in the book, we'll find in Genesis chapter 41, Joseph, wow, he's not ruling over Egypt, is he? He's in jail. <laughs> Joseph's in jail not because of any wrongdoing he done. Joseph didn't do any wrong. He's in jail because of other people's wrongdoing. I mean, he asked the butler to remember him. When you were restored, he forgot all about him. Joseph's still in jail, but... The Lord of glory one night calls the great Pharaoh of Egypt to dream about cows and corn. Now, what a dream that was. And he woke from his dream and he said, you know, this dream is not just a dream. This is, this is a special dream. Can anybody interpret the dream? And nobody can interpret the dream. But you know, there was one that caused him to dream 
that knew the interpretation of the dream and that one that caused him to dream is the omnipresent God of this universe and the one that knows the interpretation of the dream is the omnipresent God of this universe. And you know who gave who he gave that interpretation to? That little boy right there, Joseph. That's who he gave it to. Joseph, he glorifies God. Pharaoh said in verse 15, I've dreamed a dream. There's none that can interpret it. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. God, God, he's the one. He's the one that knows all about it. And God revealed that to Joseph. Joseph reveals the dream to Pharaoh, and he ends up, Joseph's there, second in command, right where the Lord's providence provided for him to, to be. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, you have something similar. You have Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. He has a dream, and not only does he have a dream, he can't remember what the dream was. He calls all the magicians of Babylon together. He said, I had a dream. I can't remember what the dream was, but I want to know what the dream was, and I want to know the interpretation of the dream. Well, well, that's, that's a difficult request, wouldn't you think? I mean, how would you like to have a dream at night and wake up the next morning and say, uh, honey, I had a dream last night. Can you tell me what that dream was and also tell me what it meant maybe? Now, I'm not saying there's a lot in dreams, brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes we dream because we ate too much lasagna before we went to bed. <laughs> but this was not just a dream because they ate too much lasagna, okay? This was a dream that the Lord caused a man to dream. Pharaoh, he calls them all. What was the dream? Give me an interpretation of the dream. But nobody knows. Well, Pharaoh, not Pharaoh. Nebuchadnezzar, he's angry. He said, I tell you, everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to be killed. you got to tell me what the dream was, the interpretation of the dream. And so here they come to Daniel. Daniel said, hey, don't be so hasty. Don't be so hasty in your anger. Let's just take your time. There's one that knows the interpretation of this dream. There's one that knows this dream. Who is it? Who's, who's the one that knows? Who knows? God knows. Notice with me in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered in the presence of the king as Nebuchadnezzar and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. All these men, they can't do this. But Daniel said, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known unto the king Nebuchadnezzar which shall be in the latter days, thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And Daniel, because the Lord of glory, omnipresent, that knows all things, revealed that to Daniel, revealed not only the dream, but the, the interpretation of the dream. So Daniel, not only Daniel, but all the men in that city enjoyed blessings because of the omnipresence of God. Don't you know there's rejoicing in the omnipresence of God? Now, when we consider this subject, this omnipresence of God, we, the children of God, here at Union Grove, Primitive Baptist Church. The year 2020, the last Sunday we'll meet until the year 2021. When we consider that, we should just stand in amazement of God. When you think about the omnipresence of God in all these examples, where there was children of God that found the omnipresence of God not to be real peaceful to them, but convicting the children of God that saw the omnipresence of God and they rejoiced and were happy, when I read them, it should cause us just to be in amazement that we have such a God. The Lord is God. And he only is God. And there's nothing that's hid from him. There's nothing that he's not able to do. And there's nothing that he can learn. He knows it all. He's able to do it all. And he sees us. He sees us. He knows the hairs on our head. He sees us. He's omnipresent. When one hair falls off, he knows when another comes back in its place. You know, I tell you what, I'm, I'm amazed at that because I've been married long enough to know that women shed a lot of hair. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I remember Jennifer and I, after we got married, we was using the same, you know, bathroom there. And Jennifer had a brush she cleaned out. And I, I mean... <laughs> And I, I say this, I love Sister Jennifer, I say this jokingly, I remember, I remember the first time I looked in the garbage can in the bathroom and she cleaned up that brush. I mean, I thought it was cousin It from the Adams family. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of hair, and I thought, well, I'll tell you what, the Lord is great if he can keep up with the hairs on your head, honey. God is great. God, God knows every hair on her head. I remember Elder Dan Bryant, he said he was preaching on that there in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. 
And God knows the hairs on your head. He said, at just about the time he finished the sentence, he looked at a man who didn't have a hair on his head, and he said, God knows all the hair he used to have. Amen. <laughs> he knows all the hair we have, all the hair we used to have. God knows he's omnipresent. He knows every tear that goes down our cheek. He knows every time we skin our knee. He knows every problem we have. He knows every need we have in our heart. God knows. And I stand in amazement of that. that him, him number 500. Oh, Lord, my God. But I had awesome wonder. When I think about the Lord and his power and his greatness and omnipresence, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that we have such a great God. I'm also thankful. Just thinking of that should cause us to be, to be thankful. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, What serve you do in word and deed? Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. Being thankful. I am thankful that my God is omnipresent. I look back at my life. How many times was he watching over me when I didn't know he was watching over me. You know, Hezekiah, king of Judah, you know, his father Ahaz was an ungodly king. I think he's the 11th and 12th king of Judah. He burned his sons to the fire gods in the valley of the son of Hinnom. God delivered Hezekiah. Even when Hezekiah didn't have knowledge that God in his omnipresence was watching over him, God was watching over him. And I look back in my life and I see the things that God has done. But how many times has God done things for me I didn't know about? His omnipresence is watching over me, and I'm thankful. I'll tell you something else that should do for us in this upcoming year. It should motivate us to trust him more. To trust him more. You remember David said in Psalms 32 and verse 8 of the Lord, I will instruct thee and guide thee in the way in which thou shalt go, and I will look over thee with mine eye. David said that. See, David, his experience understood. He needed the Lord. The Lord knows tomorrow. God knows what's in before us. God knows what could be in, is in our future. God knows. He knows that I can look to him, that he would guide me in a better path of life. I think that's why David wrote Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want What a better shepherd could you have than one that's omnipresent, that knows all things. And because of that, we can trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not towards your understanding. I think that's a wonderful verse to end with this morning. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In this year 2021, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not towards your understanding. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is omnipotent. He is my God, and he is my Savior. He is the one that's filled my life, and he's able to fill yours too. May God richly bless you, our prayer.